I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Gender is a huge subject. I'm not going to go there. But obviously there's no real agenda or man, male and female in the absolute and the ultimate nature and the divine in Buddha nature and the clear light and reality. And yet there's room for gender distinctions, different chromosomes and orientations, etc., obviously. So although Buddha was a man, the prophet, the enlightened one, the teacher, known as Buddha to history 2,600 years ago in northern India, southern Nepal. Still, there are female Buddhas and other kinds. So we should be hung up on that or feel disempowered. Anyway, we take refuge in Buddha, meaning enlightenment, a wakefulness, not a person long dead, a man, a foreigner, some of you didn't even speak English. But enlightenment itself, that's the refuge, the reliance, the sanctuary. Awareness, capital A, A-plus awareness. Not just thinking. Total awareness. Divine mind, some call it, oh, that sounds a little mental. Buddha mind, a little mental. Dharmakaya, a little foreign. What can we call it? Ralph Waldo Emerson, American's first transcendental philosopher. Well, from his mystical experience, he called God's transparent eyeball when he realized that that was his view, his mind, his eyeball, too. So we've been practicing. We ended with the Tara chant to go out singing and praying and dancing and enjoying, especially here in our siesta session, 
three in the afternoon in our semi-air-conditioned Buddha field. It's the middle way thing, always. <laughs> not too cold, not too overly hot. <laughs> we began with little chanting, but the main practice, the silent meditation, if you must call it something like that, the naked awareness practice, that's what I'm emphasizing. I want you to remember. Just looking, seeing, freeing, three in one, almost simultaneous, or more broadly, not just looking, gazing, experiencing first. Second, recognizing, penetrating, seeing through, remaining undeceived, second. And third, allowing, letting go, letting be. Awaring, third. Just looking, seeing, freeing, or releasing. Three steps to the inherent freedom of being, as we call it in Dzogchen. Not just looking with the eyes at forms, the object of eye consciousness, but also ear gazing at sounds, also equally dreamlike, impermanent, ownerless, selfless, and so on. And also smells, tastes, touches all the objects of the six consciousnesses, including the mind and thoughts. Mind is the six, thoughts are its objects. Aware of thoughts, not just caught up in thinking. It's not understood, it's not explained, it's not discussed enough, some of these special, perhaps even unique aspects of Buddhist awareness practice. Of course, these days it's politic, and it's appropriate to say all religions are good and all lead to the same place, as people will say the Dalai Lama says. If you listen to the Dalai Lama, you will never hear him say that. But that's the idea. Of course, he's a Buddhist, and he thinks that Buddhism is the way to enlightenment. He has other things, thoughts about other religions, not that they're bad. But one unique, and I will put this forward, I don't know if this really holds water, I think a unique um, aspect of Buddhist meditation, awareness practice, outlook, what should we call it? I don't want to say philosophy. The Buddhist outlook is giving us a way to have a perspective on what's happening to us, and not just the average perspective of religions, as in life is short and brutish, but heaven is after we die, and if we're good, we'll get there. I'm just, you know, shorthand. This is not really profound description of religions, but Buddhism gives us a unique perspective on what's happening within us and to us and how and why. How we can... The words are so limiting. How we can step back or have a bigger perspective on our thoughts, feelings, sensations, sounds, and experiences. And how we can find the still center in the moving wheel, the mandala, turning universe. The still axis of the turning wheel, not axle. The still axis of the turning wheel, if you're with me. The eye of the storm. Through this awareness practice, we can be aware of whatever is happening and not totally buy into it or react to it without choice, blindly react according to habitual conditioning. So it frees us from reflexive reactivity and habitual conditioning, like retaliating in kind when somebody shouts at us or cuts us off in traffic or even harms us. I'm not suggesting we should be a doormat. I'm talking about something more and broader and important being able to have enough mindfulness or presence of mind or awareness 
too. Observe or be aware of what's happening and choose how to, when and if to respond and not just blindly react. So although in this practice it may not look like we're doing much, we're actually doing a lot and it's a very simple but profound practice here, I believe. And it can help us achieve this goal, let's say, of awakefulness, free from habitual conditioning, in which even neurosis are nothing but adornments rather than burdens. As I mentioned before to Sarah, she seems to attain the rainbow body. She must have been good what we talked about. It takes many, many years. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, even if we don't believe in previous lives, if you think about your own conditioning, it took you 30, 50, 70, I'm looking around the room, 90 years to, to uh, achieve this great, you know, state of hardened, fast character of heavily conditioning. Who has 70, 50, or 90 years to spend reconditioning? And yet, we can make a quantum leap beyond that, which is what we're talking about. Being free, autonomous within interconnectedness, not just independent of everything, which is impossible. So gaining a perspective on what's happening in the present moment is our practice. Being aware of thoughts, not just lost in thinking. Being aware of sounds, not just hearing and wondering what it means and thinking about it and hearing and so on and reacting to it. Oh, I like that, I don't like that, I wish it would stop, I wish it wouldn't. That's just like bumper cars at Coney Island and turning the wheel, steering wheel, but they're unattached to the wheels that, drive, that steer the thing, not knowing what causes what in this world? What is conducive to health and disease? What's conducive to happiness and sadness, to fulfillment or dissatisfaction and so on? So I think this is a very um, salient point or unique contribution that we as Buddhist practitioners can consider making and look into how we can get this clear I guess transcendental wisdom, not just more information and knowledge, and see through what's happening, even while we see what's happening and what leads to what. For example, as a parent, we may very well see that the child is making a mistake, but we're wise enough to let them make it so they can learn the lesson themselves, hopefully not a maiming one if you're with me. So sometimes we can have the bigger perspective and see through the illusion, even while enjoying the illusion, like if we go to the fun house, the horror house, or whatever on Halloween, and the kids get scared, but we enjoy, you know, the scarier the costumes, the better, because we know that it's just our friends or the actors inside. So this is the wisdom of seeing through illusion, even though we can see the details of what's going on. So I hope I'm making myself clear. I haven't talked about this before. I gave a presentation recently at the International Buddhist Teachers Conference about 10 contributions Buddhist teachers can make to the world today, and this was number one. To have a perspective on what's happening while it's happening, seeing it's like with the third eye, which I hate to even mention because it's a distraction. Seeing things in the relative sphere, 
while seeing things with the unitary absolute at the same time, seeing through them. The wisdom factor, not just being kind and loving like every religion preaches. There's more to it. Selfless love equal to all is what we need today, not just nice to us and detesting and intolerant of them. So this practice gives us a great view or outlook or stance or, or um, space to choose how, when, and if to respond to stimuli. Stimuli from outside, like people saying things to us or looking at us askance or cutting us off in traffic or giving us horrifying diagnoses or things that arise from inside, like difficult sensations in our body, pain, and anxiety, or other worries, fears, depression, you know, things that arise from inside, the emotional world and the feeling world and the murky inner world of, of a subconscious, subconscious, unconscious. How we relate to that, because that too is external, even though we call it internal, external to our essential Buddha nature or our uncorruptible clear light core, if you insist. I hope you're with me. So in this view, nothing more to do. The meditation of getting used to it, again, seeing, seeing through, recognizing, and releasing, allowing. In this view of the great perfection, the natural unfolding, the lawful unfolding of things just as they are, the bigger picture. From that comes the meditation of non-meditation, of getting used to it, of checking it out, of seeing if there's anything else or better. It, maybe there is something holier or a Wizard of Oz behind it all or above it all, pulling the strings, scripting it all. Check it out. And from that comes spontaneous, proactive, liberating Buddha activity, selfless compassion in action Buddha activity. This view or this glimpse or this outlook is very vast and profound and it manifests in subtle and meticulous ways in our actions, number three, as Marvin was, as somebody was asking about today, day to day, the koan, the, the practice of refining daily life, applying it in every aspect of daily life, not just in a house of worship on Sunday or in our meditation room or yoga class once or twice during the week. This view is the, um, it doesn't mean views, opinions. If we look at what it's being translated from in Tibetan Tawa, in Sanskrit darshan, anybody know what darshan means? This is not opinions, dritti in Sanskrit. This is darshan, divine vision or audience, seeing God. Darshan, it's not a view, an opinion. If you're with me, it's the bigger picture. It's how it is, it's the natural state, it's reality. These are not Buddhist words, but in translation, we have to try something. Darshan, divine vision. Darshan, seeing God or, or the, the, the luminous, radiant effulgence. Darshan, that's the view, clear light comes the meditation of seeing the light, the glimmer, the iridescence shining in everything, even the shadows. Recognizing sunlight even on a cloudy day, even though the sun is obscured, because we've glimpsed the sun, we know it's there, now we understand about clouds obscuring it, but sun is always there and daylight. 
or night because the earth turning has obscured it, even though the sun's so much bigger than we are, and so on. There's a lot to say in this. And from that comes the spontaneous flow of Buddha activity. So to just sum it up for another um, little uh, three-point triad or pith instruction or remember um, potent aphorism, the view first as it is, glimpse, seeing it as it is, recognizing as it is, as it is, the meditation of non-meditation, leaving it as it is, comes flow, the natural flow, as it goes, as it is. Not trying to do as little as possible or as much as possible, not trying any more than the river does. Flow according to circumstances, because of gravity, because of such, the waters flow to the sea. But that's not the end of the story. Because of all the conditions, the sea also rises up and seeds the clouds and uh, drops the snow and comes the rivers and back to the sea. Natural flow. Nobody's pushing that or behind it all. Are you with me? So that's what we're talking about, spontaneous proactive Buddha activity as needed according to conditions. If there's no need, if there's no conditions, there's no do-gooder trying to help. There's no one trying to give medicine if there's no patients sick. So it's not just compulsive, conditioned, karmic activity. We're trying to be good people, although in the relative sphere, of course, we try to become better people and contribute to a better world. But now we're talking about in the view of Dzogchen, in the, in the ultimate picture, in this non-dual awareness practice. There's no others. There's no trying to be better. There's Buddha sitting on his or her seat. Primordial Buddha, not Buddhist Buddha. There's authenticity at home and at rest, like the ocean that never leaves its bed, even with all of that cycling that I described. I hope you're with me. They came out clear. So seeing it as it is, or the glimpse, leaving it as it is, and third, well, that's starting to look like Hebrew over there in the middle. <laughs> Christopher, you're channeling that part of you again. And third, flow. <laughs> Any questions or anything, please? I know we're going fast and, uh, and uh, high today. I don't know why. I'm in the mood. If you're a new student, um, I, uh, if you're new at Dzogchen meditation, there is a, a meeting after this for the um, beginners, new students, whatever you are, to get together and commiserate. I mean, uh, ask more questions. Can we hear from someone we haven't heard from already? We've heard from Peter quite enough. No, okay. Thank you for being my whipping boy, Peter. Nice to see you. Thank you. This breath, only breath. This moment, only moment. Is a pretty fatalistic statement. Really? And uh, for you, perhaps. <laughs> Go <yes>. on. <laughs> fatalistic, okay. Nihilistic. Nihilistic, okay. I have to get out my dictionary, but go uh, ahead. I'll give a variant from Sensei Ochai. Okay. Live as if you'll die today. Learn as if you'll live forever. 
live as if you were going to die today. Learn as if you live forever. That's good. We'll give him or her a gong. I'm all for learning. I'm, I aspire to be the bodhisattva of children, or if there's a job available, the education lama, czar. But I think learning, as we understand, is a little bit limited. So here I would not put the emphasis on learning, as we usually think about it, but which is incremental, gradual, mostly mental, although there's eight different kinds of intelligences as people study it today. But I think there's intuition, there's, there's uh, quantum leaps and other exponential growth in spiritual matters that we need to consider. So that's why I don't talk very much about studying Buddhism or studying Dzogchen. In fact, I think I even joked this morning about those who are unfortunate enough to try to read Dzogchen books know that it says things like the mode of being and things like that. Those are the good translations. It, can, it's, it goes downhill from that. <laughs> yes, who has the mic? Anybody we haven't heard from? Anybody we haven't heard from that's slower to the draw? Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Judy. Um, my question was, with the clear light, um, when I'm meditating, it's like the thought comes and, and flows away. Am I, when I'm allowing, or I don't even know if it's allowing the thought, but when the thought comes and I accept it as it is without judgment and let it go with the flow, am I seeing that in the clear light, that it's just the thought, like the friend in the costume you were talking about? And um, instead of that's a good sitting question. and dwelling on that thought? That's a good question. Um, since you said, and uh, watching it flow or go by, it sounds like you are, but only you know this is where you are conscious, conscience or conscious introspection and very honest, candid self-observation has to come in. Only you know if you're sitting there obsessing or not, you know, or like how long did it take? Only oneself knows how long it takes before you recognize, I, I don't know, in the example, um, you're walking down the street with your um, great-granddaughter, just teasing, and there, because now we're in the realm of imagination, and it's Halloween, and comes a witch with her great-granddaughter dressed up as an angel, and you see immediately that it's your, your best friend, it's your neighbor with her great-granddaughter, and they're in costumes. But, you know, do you see it right away, or do you see it after three seconds? Do you get scared at first? Or do you see it after five mind moments, or five minutes, or when they get close enough, so, you know, the old eyes come into focus, or what? So similarly, when you're practicing, do you, is it, are things self, this is technical talk now, no longer with the jokes. Are you seeing things arise and pass away at the speed of light, since you mentioned light? Or after three mind moments or five thoughts or five minutes or, you know, is it a half an hour later and you realize that you've lost your breath a half hour ago and you haven't brothed things since then? 
Well, I think it varies. So one has to look in, yeah, one has to look in oneself because you're, you know, inside. It, it varies, right? How sharp you are, how aware you are, and other factors, how deceiving it is. Like with the costumes and Halloween costumes or Easter parade floats, it's kind of obvious. It kind of, you know, the contract is there before the day starts about the land of illusion. But when you wake up in the morning, you forget that it's the same land of illusion the next day. And I don't know, I make this up, you're your significant other sitting across the table from you and does what they always do and you, you know, react the way you always do and suddenly you, you haven't seen through. You, you've got caught. You've been deceived again by that same conditioning. So how long does that take? Again, this is where mindful, mindfulness comes in, remembering to remember what's important and see through, you know, not to sweat the, the Buddha Buddha say, don't sweat the small stuff. Everything is impermanent. This too will change. You can't change them. You can change your re, re, reaction to it. That's the, where, where the awareness comes in. So how fast is that, if fast is the right word? Or how sharp? It varies, right? So that's the answer. You have to be very conscious or candidly honest yourself in self-observation. Just like in meditation, only you know if you're sitting here for half an hour meditating or you're doing half an hour work on your I don't know what. Writing your song, writing a letter, thinking about your to-do list, memorizing Latin verbs. I don't know. I'm just looking around and seeing in your auras what's going on. You know, there's all kinds of different people here. Just joking. Just because people are sitting in pews on Sunday doesn't mean they're all in the same church or in any church at all. Depends on what they're doing in the pew, right? Having a, a kip, which I believe means a nap in English. English. Or thinking about the shopping channel. Or in deep mystical oneness. Or what? In the very same pew, three different people. Or one person in three different states of mind in three minutes. Again, that's the bigger picture. We can enjoy that. I mean, that's me, here. In one moment, mystical oneness, and another moment, shopping channel. Ooh, where is the clacker for this? I have to use the gonger for the gong. Where is the clacker? I gotta, you know, this is not me. Go on the internet and order one. And a few other states in between those two, no doubt. But awareness of that is freeing, you see. No need to judge that, no problem. That is meditation, awareness of whatever arises in the present moment in the body-mind continuum. That is reality. Whether we're aware of reality or not, that is the big question. Not philosophy about the nature of reality as shunyata, like emptiness, and are we understanding that? No, that's, that's just thinking. That's philosophy. That's a little different. So I hope that's helpful. Over here. It's nice to have a nice, young, active mic hopper. Sometimes when we're meditating, it seems you are really looking at our auras. <laughs> Every once in a while, it just feels like you say Me? something. It's, it feels like you say something very um, 
exacting to what was just happening for me. And it helps bring me back. Uh, my question is, I'm experiencing a little bit of confusion right now about Zochen. Um, I've committed my life to loving kindness. And, um, and I've read several of your books and um, have followed or attempted to follow many of your meditations. And what you're describing right now is, is, is much more um, limiting in the scope, um, you know, not pulling in other people in concentric circles. And um, I'm sure there's a good answer. <laughs> I'm just a little confused about what Zogen really means. Or if it's one type of meditation and there are many different types, which yes, seems yeah, I read about in your book. In your book. Zogchen is one type of meditation. Mm -hmm. Loving kindness is one type also. Okay. Well, my, I, I guess, I don't know what my question is, except that um, I, I wonder if that's just what we're doing now. That's just what we're doing now. That's just what we're doing now. Okay. Because everybody else is doing loving kindness and compassion and talking about it all the time, including Christians, Jews, humanists, and all. But who's talking about this? So I've been dedicated for many years to bring this to the West and make it part of the fabric of American Dharma. It's Is loving one. kindness still okay with it? <laughs> do do not, they work together? I'm going to take the fifth degree on that or whatever. I don't know. I, I studied law and television shows, so that's something. <laughs> take the fifth. Fifth Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, loving kindness is great and fantastic. Um, if you ask the Dalai Lama, who's not the ultimate authority in Buddhism, but, you know, we respect him, and he always says the essence of Buddhism is wisdom and compassion. So loving kindness is the compassion, and there's also the wisdom. Like, is your loving kindness partial or equal to all? That's where the wisdom comes in. Is it based on what you're going to get out of it? Like transactional generosity, or be nice to them and they'll be nice to you and, and even put your name on the wall on a plaque? Or is it giving without expectation of return? So selfless compassion and selfless loving kindness is the wisdom aspect. So in Buddhist thinking, there's always these two wings, the absolute of the wisdom side or shunyata side or the prajna side and the relative loving kindness and compassion, good deeds side. And we go together, we need both. So what we're talking about today and emphasizing here is more the wisdom side, but don't overlook that we had a significant loving kindness and compassion meditations at the end of every session that I led. And I hope whoever's teaching loving kindness is also having significant sessions of prajna-oriented practice in their practice retreat or teaching time. And that would be my wish. So of course, loving kindness is, is you know, Fantastic. And, you know, Sharon Salzberg is the meta model, loving kindness, master of America, and, you know, more power to her. But that's not all she practices either. Vipassana and loving kindness. Insight is the, and loving kindness, right? Is the wisdom side. Also, the four Brahma Viharas, I just read in her biography here in the brochure at Garrison, that she, she teaches Vipassana and the four Brahma Viharas, not just loving kindness, also compassion, equal to all, and joy. Of course, 
in, in our rubric, it's all included in metta, but actually there's four faces of Buddha's love, the four boundless or Brahma Viharas. Question, that's a good question. Don't be confused. Let me go back to my, my go-to. Just try following the instructions here and see what you can get out of it for these few days, and then you can go back to your, you know, I shouldn't joke, so I won't, your loving-kindness meditation, which is all-encompassing, and have a heart as wide as the world, and wish others well every moment and all. It's really important. It's so beautiful. I wish I had more of that myself. Uh, questions? Yes, Bertie. Bertrand, hey. comment vas-tu? Ça va, merci, Hugo. Um, you said something earlier that inner peace is possible at any speed or any decibel level. Um, this, this is this really, you know, makes sense to me here. Because um, it's quiet. But yeah, when you're back in Manhattan, it's a different story. Well, you can't do this in, anything in Manhattan. And uh, so when you're in an environment... Try to get ahead of the other people. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you're trying to keep the... Garder le cap, when you try to keep the direction right. in an environment that is not necessarily the most peaceful. I know, but that's called samsara, not Manhattan. Yeah. Manhattan's just a local chapter. Yeah, but it's, so, so, some, place, some places in the world are more quiet than others. Like where? Like where? Like uh, India? Middle of the desert. I don't know. I've been in some deserts, and you know, I lead retreat in deserts, like in Sinai, and the ground shakes with the bombing that's going on just across the border all the time. But go on. Okay. Also in the desert, there's other things going on that are more disturbing. Scorpions like, inside, but go on. How do you, so on that frame, I mean, in these circumstances, when there's you know when you, you're in an environment that's that has high decibel level, high speed, and yes. know, various things like that, how do you try? I'm working hard on developing patience. Is it patience the answer? That's the for best this? place to work on developing patience. Because um, patience also includes like acceptance, forbearance. So by its very nature, if there's nothing that's hard to accept, you know, if there are not things that make you impatient or irritated, then how are you going to develop patient forbearance? The third paramita, shanti, the peacemaking, patient forbearance. It's without the challenge. That's why Buddhist teachings says that the enemy, the adversary, or the crisis is the, our best friend from the spiritual point of view. But more practically, you know, I don't choose to live in those kind of environments because I too feel it's difficult to live the way I want to live in. I mean, I'm a New Yorker and I don't live in New York. But you're French, you choose to live in New York, so it's a trade-off. There must be something else there that you do like. It may even include the high decibel level and the intense energy and, you know. So, as an old surfer, we used to say, you know, the bigger the waves, the better the surfing, if you know how to surf, <laughs> which is what you asked. So how to develop patience and surf in those waves. And that's why we're talking about what we're talking about in terms of acceptance and equanimity and awareness of, not just the things themselves and sorting them out, trying to control them, but awareness of. 
so we can step back. I mean, this is very dualistic, but so we can step back and see not just here, see not just what's coming in, but also our reactions, what's coming up. And then we can choose how, when, and if to respond. So, so, is it, so from that, a tantric that, point of view, then, you know, the bigger the waves, the bigger, the better the surfing. You should be, should, you, you could be able to meditate on the traffic island in the middle of where Broadway crosses, I don't know, that other boulevard, where it's a big, you know, Michigas right there. And there's even like an island, then you can put out your beach chair or, or whatever, and just, you know, like sky gaze and enjoy the energy, just like if you were in Niagara Falls. It ain't quiet at Niagara Falls, but everybody loves it and how natural it is. But there's a lot of energy. So it's, again, aware of how you're reacting is, is the thing. Or you probably go to concerts and you like the noise. No. So patience, we practice patience. First of all, I think patience, in a way, is the most important of the ten Buddhist virtues or paramitas today because it's the antidote or it's the, it's the means to alleviate anger, which leads to violence. That's very important in our very hurry-up, intolerant days, violent world and era. And we practice it on the little irritations, like, you know, we, I had to learn this in India, aware of the mosquito while you're sitting there meditating and you vowed, you know, not to move for an hour, and aware of it buzzing around and not, you know, it's one thing when it's on your arm and you patiently, mindfully, don't swat it. What about what's on your nostrils and your, your, you know, your eyelid? So you start to develop a little more forbearance, and I've told this story before, I'll tell you it again. So my, our, uh, Sharon and my great meditation master, Goenka, G, Mr. Goenka, U.S.N. Goenka of Burma and India, used to say, there are many different ways you could respond to that, children. Maybe you could wish it a nice drink and a safe flight home. So that's more like an active, that's not the Dzogchen approach, that's like a loving kindness approach to empathize with it as a living being, wish it a nice drink at your blood fountain and a safe flight home to dinner, to the dinner table in suburbia with the other mosquito family You're with me. So that's like a reconditioning practice of loving kindness, how we recondition the aversion. I don't like it. I don't want to be bitten. I don't want the, the itchy feeling. I'm going to swat it. I'm going to shake it. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a meditator, I'm not going to move, but I'm going to blow it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Try to move your ear without moving. <laughs> scared away with your mind. All of these are against the vow of not moving. You see, you're not remaining unmoved and imperturbable and equanimous just because you're not saying anything aloud or, move, or using your arm. So we practice this reconditioning in the difficult situations, but starting with small things first, mm. small irritations, like in your meditation seat, you know, not moving every time you feel restless or pain. And so you get more patient, you, you, you say to yourself a, a mantra like, this too shall pass. And then, of course, you got to check it out and see if it does. Everything does, but there's no guarantee how, how soon. Mm. 
So you start to develop patients to recondition before you decondition. In Dzogchen practice, we're more on the deconditioning. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you. So by working with the difficulties is how we, one way we develop patient forbearance, the third paramita. Last question. Yes, young man, nice to see you, you two together here. It's good to be back. Thanks. Thank you. I heard something a little bit different today, and I wanted to ask you to say it again, because it, when I was listening to you today, it sounded like really the, the thing to get is the view. I've always heard you say the view as it is, but today I heard you say the view, the more like the sacred tooth, the sacred reality. And that seems like kind of a big bite to start with. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it is. It's the biggest. That's why we call it the big picture in English. What can we say? In Sanskrit, darshan, it's, it's what everybody in India aspires to. It's like divine, you know, it's like seeing God. It's like, what can you say about it? It's so big. Then you're all done. Yeah, you're all done. <laughs> you but got then the what? View, you're what done. What do you do when you're done? <laughs> that's the, that's the, the, that's okay. the second part of the Non duality, path. emptiness. Those are you just know, words. What do you do? What do you do? It's all in there. It's all in the view, right? Yeah, it's all included. But then what do you do when you're done? And then, you know, I don't know what. Meditate. Well, why meditate? Why meditate? That's, you see how it, everything becomes questionable. Why are you, med why are you trying to meditate? Like, what, what, are you gonna get? what are you trying to get at? If you're done, what are you trying to get? Why do anything? What would you do? Who would you be? How would it? So then we get to flow. Natural flow, not legislated. Not meditate, flow, life, oneness, flow. Not doing this and rather than that. Not being a Buddhist. You know, Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. And if you check, if the Buddha was enlightened, it's very hard to find any time where it says Buddha sat under a tree and meditated. Any of you researchers have any stories about Buddha meditating after that? That tree sit? In fact, when he died, unlike New Agers, he didn't even die sitting up. He died lying down like this, and like comfortable. He wasn't trying to meditate when he died. He had already died 45 years ago under that tree. Ego death. Anyway, don't worry about it. Bite off the biggest piece you can chew. Bite off the biggest piece you can chew. And then chew on it. That's the second part. Chew on it and digest it and grok it and it become part of you and then and there's no more to, then there's just drool it just, just flow no more chewing needed nothing to chew on bite off the biggest bite you can can and then chew on it and then flow <laughs> flow Thank you. I'm serious. <laughs>